entering the Freedom Hut. Democrat debate was a dud, but there was at least one interesting exchange we'll get into together. They're all on the far left now, so we'll break down some of the policy proposals that the Socialist Democrats are putting forward. And of course, the impeachment managers have been named. The articles are being transmitted. Headed over to the Senate. What's going to happen next? That and more coming up. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America, great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Because I am a, a devoted host, because I believe so strongly in spending many, many hours of my time to distill the most important information, analysis, and thoughts, uh, because I know all of you are quite busy with your lives doing things other than hosting radio shows, I try to make the best use of your time. And this day will be no exception to that, as I can tell you. Having uh, sat through the Democrat debate last night, um, there is very little, <laughs> very little of substance to get into. I'm going to save you two hours of time right now in case you haven't watched it or are thinking about it. The Democrats want to take more of your money and freedom away to give stuff inefficiently to other people who did not earn it through coercion by a government that cannot afford it. That's a Democrat debate. Save you two hours. You're welcome. Team Buck, that's what I'm here for. Help you out. Be a good guy like that. It was, it was quite quite a mess up there last night, and I'm sorry, but I can't help but get a little bit of a chuckle out of the Democrats who have created this wokeness culture, cancel culture, hyper political correctness that no one can even really define that changes day to day, and the obsession with diversity that pushes so much of it. Um, that is such a central part of political correctness. And you had a whole bunch of old white Democrats on stage last night. Yes, I know Mayor Pete was there. He's not old, but the rest of them, it was quite a boring crew. And also we have seen that Tom Steyer is perhaps the world's first billionaire who seems only able to afford one tie. You see this producer, Mark, this guy was wearing... He likes this tartan plaid tie. You know, that's the only thing that is going to apparently get it done for him. He wears the same tie at every debate. Maybe that's his style. Maybe that's like his signature, his thing. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Uh, fair enough. But I feel like he could afford. Does he have many of the same tie, though? That's what. Sometimes people see me wearing like a blue shirt or a white shirt more than once on TV, and I want to tell them, I know I'm not like, I'm not making like the, the super big bucks, but. The buck can afford more than one shirt in the same color. So you're not just wearing the same. I'm not just wearing the same blue or white shirt every time I go on TV. Well, you know, we'll have to. I just like the classics. I like the classics. I'll get Tom Steyer on and we'll ask him about his ties. Yeah. Some of you may be saying, wait a second, Buck, this isn't a show that I go to where I want to hear banter about fashion choices. I'm just trying to tell you that's probably the most interesting thing from the debate last night. Okay. There's like nothing that is worth your time. You've heard much of it before. Uh, The only part that was interesting. And we set this up. Yesterday, our show was called Comrade Warren versus Comrade Biden. Um, And and by the way, if you're if you ever want to, you should send us if you send us a great show title, 
we do reserve the right to borrow it and name one of our shows after the title you give us for something. So if you have some really clever impeachment title that you want to share, because we're going to be talking about impeachment a lot of the days ahead, uh, please, by all means, do let us know what that would be. Uh, we love we love relying on the genius of Team Buck to make our show look better than it, than it otherwise would. So, okay, what's the most interesting thing from last night? I, I, I really do. I want to move on to some other things to talk maybe a bit about the economy, uh, about the General Flynn situation. Looks like he's with, trying to withdraw, formally withdraw his plea. And, you know, there's a lot more going on here that we need to, we need to dig into than just the uh, socialist Democrats. And I, I really want this to be a change in the way we talk about the Democratic Party. They're, they're a socialist party now. They can say they're not socialist, but they are. And I don't think we should allow them to define language. One of my big problems with the way that American political discourse functions is that those on the right conservatives, we often cede so much ground in the way we talk about things. And it might seem small to you. Um, in the earliest days of the Buck Saxon show, I used to say that liberals are not, in fact, in any way liberal or uh, centered or focused on protecting liberty. They're, in fact, statists. They are authoritarians. They're, in many cases, aspiring totalitarians. And so why would we give them a name that is really the opposite of what they are? It then reminds me of the doomsday cult, the reasonableists from the show Parks and Rec. If you call yourselves the reasonableists, well, then how can you be crazy? If you call yourselves liberals, then how could you be authoritarians? How could you be fascists? Right? That's, that's part of the game they play. And then also the blue and red, the colors. I've talked to you before about the history of this. just comes from TV news. The Republican Party is red because of election night. Democrat-controlled stations, by the way. I mean, stations that were left-wing deciding, okay, we're going to make the Democrats blue and the Republicans red, when, of course, the Democrats are much closer and always have been to socialists. And the color of socialism is red, and Republicans should be blue. But I won't get too deep into that for right now. What's the most interesting part of last night? I just wanted to say, we're, I'm going to call them socialists, and people will challenge me on this, and that's fine. They're wrong. They've become a socialist party. The degree of socialism we can argue over, but the Democrats are socialists. Okay. Just remember that. Because socialism has also able to destroy, no matter how wealthy a country is, no matter how successful it has been relative to others in the region, socialism can destroy it, can destroy any country. Central planning, government control, coercion by committees can destroy any economy, any free society. Just remember I'm telling you that now. All right. Now let's talk about Bernie and Warren. This was a great one. This is fantastic. CNN, which is the worst cable news network in existence, CNN uh, was running this debate last night with the Des Moines Register, and they had to touch on this issue because everyone's been talking about it. Did Bernie Sanders, in fact, say that a woman can't win the presidency? Now, as a matter of fact, meaning that factually speaking, a woman has not been able to win the presidency yet, uh, and there are is certainly room for discussion if we're going to be honest about it as to whether or not it's an advantage or disadvantage to run as a woman for the presidency. Just this is the reality of the world we live in. But the allegation here is that in a in a private conversation, Bernie said this to Elizabeth Warren as they were talking about things really as colleagues. I mean, this was 
the equivalent of sitting down having a beer with somebody that you think you're on the same team with, and then you think you're in the trust tree. Bernie thought he was in the he was in the trust tree. He's in the nest. I thought I thought it was safe. Um, and it turns out that no, Elizabeth Warren decided to use this against him, and so this is how CNN frames this exchange this was the only really worthwhile part we're not going to spend too much time on the debate today i'm not going to go through every policy because you know we'll talk about the broad strokes of their socialism their insanity their lack of understanding of math and markets but here is what uh, cnn did to set this thing up play 13 producer mark senator sanders i do want to be clear here you're saying that you never told senator warren that a woman could not win the election that is correct senator warren what did you think when Senator Sanders told you a woman could not win the election? I disagreed. Bernie is my friend, and I am not here to try to fight with Bernie. But look, this question about whether or not a woman can be president has been raised, and it's time for us to attack it head on. Um, and I think the best way to talk about who can win is by looking at people's winning record. So can a woman beat Donald Trump? Look at the men on this stage. Collectively, they have lost 10 elections. <laughs> the only people on this stage who have won every single election that they've been in are the women. Ah, bit of a feminist girl power rallying cry here from Elizabeth Warren. But notice at the beginning of that exchange, CNN said, so, Senator Sanders, did you, in fact, say this thing? And he said, no. And then they went to Elizabeth Warren. Since we know Bernie Sanders said this thing, why don't you tell us what you said in response to him? They're basically calling Bernie Sanders a liar on national TV. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else you could... How else you could see that? What else could you really say about it? And now it has come out. And does this surprise anyone? Oh, here, I'm going to look. I'm just looking at producer Mark. You, you can you can mouth the word to me. Who is responsible for putting the story out in the media? Who is the one that thought maybe people should know that Bernie Sanders? Yes, Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> it turns out that Warren leaked this herself. Oh, what a shock. What a shock. Elizabeth Warren wanted people to know that Bernie Sanders is maybe kind of a misogynist, but she doesn't really want people to know that because she likes him. But just, you know, stabs him in the back and puts her arm around his shoulder right right after she pulls off the maneuver. I mean, just classic Elizabeth Warren. Not an honorable move. Not an honorable move at all. Does that surprise us that somebody who had faked being a Native American for decades would then go after somebody in this way? I am I will tell you, I always am a little offended. And I, sh I know I shouldn't be because people think of me as a member of the press or even though I, I never would really use that term. Um, I certainly wouldn't use the term journalist because I'm not. But people feel like they have to tell me, hey, we're sitting down, we're having drinks, especially if it's somebody who's tied to the administration or if they're in politics, they say, you know, we're off the record. And if we have a personal relationship, like if we're friends, which is the case with many of them, I understand why they say that, but there's a part of me that's like, if you know me, you know that I don't I don't do that thing. I don't talk to people when they think they're talking to Buck. And then all of a sudden that that story for my own purposes that they thought was being shared just between two friends, two colleagues is now going to be broadcast, you know, everywhere. 
It's exactly what and some journalists, by the way, do operate that way. And that's because journalists are disgusting people worse probably than anyone and anyone in any business except actors. Uh, but Elizabeth Warren did exactly that to Bernie Sanders because now is the time. There's really only going to be one progressive candidate and there's really only only going to be one main choice for the Democrats. Which socialist is going to be the standard bearer? Who of the socialist candidates, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and quite honestly, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, too, who did a, who did a pretty sound job last night? I mean, I, I can't see it. Here. And you know who else does a good job? And I make fun of her because she eats salad with a comb and has her staff like help groom her in ways that is surprising. Um, Klobuchar. Klobuchar is not a, not actually a crazy person. I mean, she may be a craven Democrat. But she operates a little bit more in the realm of reality than some of these other Democrats. I mean, Bernie Sanders, the stuff that he's saying is insane. People who think that Bernie Sanders has any idea how any of this would really work and what this would do for people don't know what they're talking about. If Bernie Sanders becomes president of the United States, you will be poorer and less free. I guarantee it. I'm not saying that it'll be Mad Max, but things are going to get rougher for you in ways that matter to you. So at least with someone like a Klobuchar or a Biden, Biden is just going to do whatever the party apparatus tells him to do. The party apparatus of the Democrats is further left than it has been at any other time in my lifetime. But he's not really an ideologue. He's a Bidenist, first and foremost. What does Biden have to do to win? What does Biden have to do to have nice things said and written about him by the elite media? Klobuchar, a little bit more normal, a little bit more reasonable. But can any of them win against Trump? I think we all know the answer to that so far. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And I want to say that tonight for me was dispiriting. Democrats got to do better than what we saw tonight. There was nothing I saw tonight that would be able to take Donald Trump out. And I want to see a, a, a Democrat in the White House as soon as possible. There was nothing tonight that if you're looking at this thing, you say this, any of these people are prepared for what Donald Trump is going to do to us. I think Van Jones is wrong on policy matters, and uh, I think if I think he's a an ideological opponent on most things, not all things, um, but he is one of the smarter Democrats of the political analysts out on the scene. I'll tell you, I've worked with Van. I know Van a little bit, um, and he's actually. And some of you will, will get mad at me, and I don't care. Uh, he's actually a pretty charming guy if you uh, if you get to chat with him a little bit, um, and uh, he's completely right here. He's completely right. There was nothing. There was nothing. Yeah, I know he's he's a far left radical and progressive and all this stuff. And I think that he's wrong on all these things. I'm just saying he's a smart progressive who sometimes does call it the way it is instead of the way the CNN audience wants to see it. Um, you know, I think it's important, by the way, that you understand you, we should we should seek as conservatives. You should seek out who are the best of the left. Who's the strong? Who makes the strongest arguments? I mean, yeah, I like to sit here and you know I talk about like Maisie Hirono is the you know one of the dumbest people I've ever heard, and you know Biden is a dumbass, and, there's, there's, and this is important for us to talk about because these people want to control aspects of our lives and have power over us, and so we should be honest about what's going on. But there are Democrats who are skilled in the use of rhetoric, who understand how to manipulate emotions, who are in fact knowledgeable about the areas they talk about. And, and it's incumbent upon us. And I think there's not enough of this in conservative media, by the way, to deal with the smart leftists 
to defeat their arguments and also to elevate leftists on certain topics and issues when they're correct. There are real far left journos out there who have been some of the most ardent critics of the whole Russia collusion nonsense. I mean, you will come across people that I think are wrong on 90 percent of things. But within that 10 percent, they'll be saying that the you know MSNBC and CNN, for example, have made mockeries of themselves on Russia collusion. We'll get into more of that later. Um, but I, I do. This is a, a bit of an aside. But, you know, I, I don't like to just play the dumb the dumb Democrats here and just make fun of what, what a clown show most of the Democratic parties become, because there are there are smart Democrats and they can still win, folks. They can still make compelling arguments. They can get over 51 percent of the aggregate vote in a presidential election. Do not underestimate our opponents. Do not underestimate them. But there was nothing last night. Now that I've said that, there was nothing in that debate that you could look at and say, oh, that person is going to be really challenging for Donald Trump. That person is going to be able to defeat the incumbent president of the United States. I'm not saying that means it can't happen, but it's a deeply unimpressive field. Who has who has real momentum? Think back to the 2016 election. Early on, even Trump was a phenomenon. And if we're going to say this, we're going to be objective about this. You know, I know there's so much. I feel like these days everyone's just, oh, just tell everybody what you think they want to hear. I don't like to do that here. I like to tell you what I think is true. And you tell me the same. That's why some of you, you know, like my impression. Some of you don't. That's fine. Um, but Obama was a phenomenon when he was running. Let's just be honest about that. Defeated Hillary and everything. You know, there was a sense that this is a candidate. This is a person who has got something. Which of these Democrats, who among the Democrats, last night on that stage, has really got something? I mean, you have to say at this point, it might be Bernie. And that's insane. That's absurd. Although, if you're if you're picking a, a sort of a, a dark horse candidate, if you're picking somebody to come from behind, and I got to if you're asking me to pick a long shot right now who might actually pull it off among the Democrat primary, I kind of think it's Mayor Pete. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I said 13 years ago it was a mistake to give the president the authority to um, go to war if, in fact, he couldn't get inspectors into Iraq to stop uh, what thought to be uh, the attempt to get a nuclear weapon. Uh, it was a mistake, and I acknowledge that. But right out of the man who also argued against that war, Barack Obama, picked me to be his vice president. And once we, became, once we were elected president, he turned and vice president, he turned to me and asked me to end that war. I know what it's like to send a son or a daughter like our our colleague has gone to war in Afghanistan, my son for a year in Iraq, and that's why I do it very, very reluctantly. That's why I led the effort, as you know, Wolf, against surging tens of thousands of troops into Afghanistan. Biden has a remarkable gift, and his gift is to think that a very long legacy of being on the wrong side of issues and being ineffective in pushing his side is somehow evidence of skill and wisdom. Biden, it seems to me, is really so dumb that he thinks that his failures are evidence of him being smart. And when he talks about ending the, ending the war in Iraq, for example, that the way that that was done, the circumstances under which that happened with the Obama administration did lead, I mean, directly to the rise of 
the Islamic State, which, keep in mind, really was a, a Syrian entity that then swooped into Iraq, uh, went through Mosul, and, and then we had that situation where you had uh, you, the U.S. have to launch airstrikes to prevent a continued onslaught into deep into the Kurdish areas of, of Iraq by the Islamic State. That was a disaster. A disaster. And Biden points to this like somehow he knows what he's talking about or, or he, he is the, the wise elder statesman here that will get things done. What does Joe Biden even really stand for? It's not clear to anybody who's being honest. What Joe, Joe Biden is just whatever the Democratic Party wants at any point in time. He'll go along with it. Which way is the wind blowing right now and how does that affect the prospects of Joe Biden? A deep, he's just a deeply unimpressive fellow. Uh, oh, and by the way, you know, you had Mike Pence, who Mike Pence said something funny. Mike Pence had a funny last night. Who would have thought? Yeah, he's got to, you know, strutting his stuff a little bit. Here you go. Here's uh, here's the Veep. Play clip eight. You know, the choice in this election couldn't be clearer and the stakes couldn't be higher. Today, we have a president who loves this country, who stands by our military, our workers and our freedoms. He never quits. He never backs down. He believes in you and he fights for you every single day. And then you got this uh, group of Democrats running for president. You know, I heard they got another debate tonight. If it's anything like the other ones, those people are going to be standing so far on the left. I think that stage is going to tip over. Uh, <laughs> I think he's right. The Democratic Party, because of the the loudest voices within it are the furthest left. The media is so much an appendage of the Democratic Party, or maybe the Democratic Party is such an appendage of the media that the the uh, echo chamber of journalists as left wing cheerleaders has really influenced, I believe, the the platform that the Democrats now support. And oh, by the way, I see here talking about how leftists sometimes are right. Michael Moore, who I think is really. Uh, a lot of his positions are odious, and I, I think he's I think he's gross. I don't I don't think he's a, a fellow who comes at things with good faith or good intentions. I mean, I could use much more colorful and salty language to describe what I think of Michael Moore, but we are on this is a family friendly show, so I'll just leave it there. But she even I see the headline on Drudge: Warren stuck a knife in Bernie's back. I mean, everyone knows that's exactly what happened here. You know, everyone knows, and you know, I think this. This is gonna, this is gonna go against her a little more. They they thought this would be the war on women. Remember Mitt Romney binders full of women. That was what they said about him. They they took they took a a completely understandable phrase he used about how much he wants to hire women when he was running for uh, the presidency, and made it sound like he was collecting women on sheets of paper and locking them in a little canvas folder or something. I mean it was it was just insane. But that became a talk. Ha ha! Binders full of women. It was a talking point that they used and this whole war on women me because Democrats create I mean, identity politics is so central to them. They believe that a person's gender, skin color, ethnicity, uh, religion is determinative in many ways of who of what that person's politics should be. So they do, the Democrats do make these judgments and distinctions based upon superficial characteristics. Um, but here we see that Warren uh, thought that she could get the war on that that she could create a war on women via Bernie meme, and it did not. It did not work out. Um, 
And it was, it was also, it was really a Candy Crowley moment between Warren and Bernie there. The Candy Crowley moment you remember was the, the CNN moderator and between Trump and, I'm sorry, between uh, Romney and Obama back in 2012 on Benghazi. Did they, did, did Obama call it a terrorist attack? And no, it was kind of vague and general and, you know, down in the speech that he gave about Benghazi. It was, you know, these acts of terror, but it was generalized and he did not really refer to Benghazi as a terrorist attack. Uh, but even still, it's not the job of Candy Crowley to do the interpretation there. But she did exactly what Zucker and the rest of the CNN crew would want, which is help Obama. That's the point. That's what they're really there to do. Make Obama look good. So this seemed like another instance of it because Bernie's not of the establishment in the way that the elites want him to be. I mean, I will give him credit for this. Some of the Bernie bro supporters are lunatics and his ideas, his policy ideas are deeply troubling. I mean, here's just one example, by the way, and this is Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. They think this is so simple. They're just going to they're just going to say that prescription drugs cost X price controls are a destructive mechanism within any market, right? The moment you start saying the price is X when it's really Y, you create, because of that intrusion into the operations of the market, you create problems. You create problems. You create issues in supply and demand. You create issues of who's going to make this stuff. And pharmaceuticals is, a, is an excellent, in, excellent case study of this. Because, yeah, there are some, you got this guy, what was his name, Screlly, who was buying up different patents for obscure but very important, you know, drugs that don't have a lot of um, usage cases. But for those people that need them, they're incredibly important and just jacking up the price. And, you know, there, there is the same thing you could say about, like, war profiteering. Sometimes things are more important than, than just the bottom line. But you've also got to understand, as I don't think Bernie and Warren do, that the bottom line matters or else you're not going to have the things you want. Right? If the government came along and said, hey, it's wartime, uh, we, we, you guys, you can't charge more than this amount of money for ammunition uh, to, to make you know, ammunition. You can't sell it for more than X amount of dollars. That would create problems in the market. They said, all right, you're going to make all you're going to make this for us and it's going to be free for the government. Well, those places would go out of business, right, because that you can't do that. There's a limit to these uh, what these price controls can get away with. With medicines, it costs over a billion dollars right now to take a drug from the R&D, from the the origins in the R&D phase all the way through to the FDA has said you can sell this to people. There are some things where they'll have uh, a case if it's necessary for, you know, pediatric cancer or something. They'll, there are ways that they will escalate it through the process so some people can use it. But to, until it's really available at your pharmacist, it costs over a billion dollars. And the fact that other countries don't respect the intellectual property rights of these pharmaceutical companies the way that we do in this country isn't evidence of how great those countries do things. It's they're getting a free ride off our back. Who's going to come up with, do you want to be, I'm somebody, I want celiac disease to be cured. I want the person who, or the company that comes up with a cure for celiac disease to make billions of dollars. The money's got to come from somewhere. And if they're not going to make billions of dollars, they're not going to spend a billion dollars, especially because the failure rate for pharmaceuticals, which we all look, we all want to know that there's that drug that when we really need it, we've got it right. When you've got some you know, rare infection or some inflammatory condition or something, you you want to go to your doc and they've got some little magic script that they write out that they give you the pill that's going to fix you. Right. We all want that. Unfortunately, it doesn't always really happen that way. But 
if you listen to Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren last night, I mean, they beat up on pharma and the rich people and corporations. And of course, there are excesses. I'm not saying the market functions perfectly. It's not a perfect market. It's not entirely, it's not even close to a free market even right now when you add in all the regulations and, and government distortions. But who's if you're not going to be able to make money doing this and your failure rate, which I, I don't want to give you the statistics on it because I don't know offhand, but a vast majority of drug cases uh, or rather of, of drugs that they're trying to develop don't work. That's just sunk cost now. It just didn't work. Phase two clinical trials come back. Nope, sorry, I don't have it. So removing the profit motive from these companies or lowering the profit motive because it sounds good, we're going to make this drug free. Now, look, insulin, there are some things that have been around a long time that should be off patent that companies play games with and they overcharge. And I mean, I, Trump is already trying to do that, though. See, this is what they're not telling you. In the places where there are abuses, where we can all recognize that something funky is going on, there is room for action. But just to say that you're going to, with, with a, you know, the stroke of the pen, the drugs are going to cost X. This drug is going to be sold for this amount of money. That's what they did in Venezuela with consumer products. And that's why people are literally waiting in lines and can't get fresh milk or toilet paper. Remember when I was in Aruba a while ago, they said there are people who are showing up to Aruba from Venezuela to buy household items because they just could not get them in Venezuela. And it's very close off the coast. So... I know that was a little bit of a, of a digression there, but this is the problem you have with these individuals who don't understand or don't care to understand the workings of a free market. And what Bernie Sanders is suggesting is disastrous for what would really what would really happen if he got if he were to get his way. And now you have to take very seriously what the ramifications would be, because Warren Sanders, they're looking for areas where this just becomes an executive action. They're just going to say, you know, this is Obama's pen and phone routine. Congress won't act, so I will. You know, all you need are, are enough people. And we also don't have a, a tradition of, of having our ideological side in the judiciary invoking universal injunctions against the presidency the way that they do against Trump. So our judges go, all right, I mean, you know, maybe... Maybe we got to let this thing play out a little bit. You know, it really is executive prerogative, even if we think that it might be a bit of an excess or, you know, this is not something we should show. Their judges, I mean, left wing judges are activists, so they'll just say you can't do that. So we can't count on that same thing on our side. But there was nothing. I see your people saying Klobuchar actually did really well last night. It's not really all that surprising. There's nothing to look at here and view as particularly new. Uh, we have to see how this shakes out in Iowa. I certainly hope that, I don't know, there's a part of me that wants Bernie Sanders to be the nominee. There's a part of me that wants Democrats to have to really present, you know, have to present and defend this lurch toward this, this jump toward socialism. And, and that becomes an inescapable national conversation. I'm not sure that it's better for us to allow them to evade accountability for this. I want them to have to say, yes, that's what we're going for. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You ever notice with Biden, he's always going the wrong state? And in your great state of uh, Iowa, Iowa. It's Iowa, right? No, it's Wisconsin. Oh, I meant Wisconsin. No, I didn't know I was in Wisconsin. That's Biden. How many times has he done that? By the way, lots of times, he said. It's great to be in the state of Ohio 
No, sir, you're in Florida. Trump's right here, man. Biden gets away with a lot. The media just pretends that these are normal mistakes. Uh, These are normal mistakes, but they're really not. Biden doesn't have it. Biden is too old for this. Maybe Democrats refuse to accept that reality. Maybe Democrats refuse to uh, deal with the truth of the situation, but and and put him forward as their candidate. The guy's too old. He he simply doesn't. He simply does not have it. Uh, but yeah, Trump had a rally last night. He had some some funny lines from it, obviously, as he tend as he tends to do. Democrats simply don't have anyone who can stand up in front of a crowd of fifteen or twenty thousand people and just riff for an hour, an hour and a half, and get the crowd totally fired up and have memorable moments and no, I mean, they just, they, they don't have somebody who can go toe to toe with Trump and they know that, which is why there's such a hesitation right now for there to be a real true front runner, even though I know Biden's in the polls, but he's the, he's the default front runner. He's just, okay, I I guess it's Joe Biden. I guess that's what it's going to be. Um, And then he also made some jokes about that. I mean, I, I, you guys know that I hate recycling. I mean, I, I legitimately and truly think recycling is the most annoying thing. It, it, it's, not, it's not nearly as helpful for the environment as people are led to believe it is. In fact, there's plenty of reason. There are plenty of studies that show that a lot of recycling is bad for the environment by the time you've actually gone through the whole process. Um, but this is, this is the reality of when the Democrats allow this climate change absurdity to get to a certain point, you're just, you're just going to deal with, with annoying inconveniences in your day-to-day that are a reminder of what these petty little statists are all about, which is making sure that you can't have the light that you really want because they think they're saving the planet. Play, play clip six here. But I'm also approving new dishwashers that give you more water so you can actually wash and rinse your dishes without having to do it 10 times. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Anybody have a new dishwasher? I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for that. It's worthless. They give you so little water. You ever see it? Air comes out. So little water. So what happens? You end up using it 10 times and the plates, then you take them out and do them the old-fashioned way, right? Just think about what's going on in, say, California, where now you have per-person limitations on water usage in households. In a place that, as a, as a function of its geography and its natural resources, is among the most blessed corners of the entire earth, but they've got idiot liberals running the state and without any opposition of any real kind from Republicans— and things just keep getting worse. You know, it takes a while. You know, if you take over, whether you're talking about a, a state or a company, really bad leadership will destroy anything. I mean, libs can ruin any city or any state, but it takes a while. We're finally seeing that play out in California. And that's why someone like Trump comes in and says, you know what? I want you to be able to wash your dishes because I'm a normal person and I understand things. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you guys all remember when Michael Avenatti was a hero of the resistance? I do. I remember there was a time when you couldn't turn on CNN or 
MSNBC without seeing his very, you know, a- a- aggressive, bald theatrics on television, right? I mean, he was just constantly a presence on the cable news circuit. I think he was on CNN more than any non-contracted or contractually obligated, contracted, that's different, uh, contractually obligated guest for a period of a month or two. Uh, Michael Avenatti was so beloved because he was just vicious and nasty about the president and really was willing to go deep into the gutter to go after this president. He was so beloved by libs, by leftists. You know, Anderson Cooper used to have Michael Avenatti on his show all the time. And the, the, the serious news people over at CNN. Jake Tapper took him very seriously. Oh, Michael Avenatti. He's a lawyer who's really worthy of putting on on television all these different you know rachel maddow they're all avenatti was something of a folk hero to leftists he was the robin hood of the hashtag resistance for a while and it turns out that he is according to federal authorities one of the scummiest lawyers you could find anywhere but we all already knew that right why would we already know that without even getting into the specifics of these charges which i will in just a moment and i'm sorry i know that this might seem like fuck why do we have to waste our time with avenatti because the people that are telling you to vote for biden and vote for bernie sanders or elizabeth warren is the savior of america or whatever the same people the same news anchors that want to constantly wag their finger in your face tell you donald trump is boorish a philistine disgusting you know a horrible person whatever it may be a barbarian uh, that the same people that say that to you treated Michael Avenatti very well. The same individuals who would say that someone like me is, oh, he's, uh, he's in the tank for Trump, and oh, he's, uh, you know, never re- refuses to be honest with, with people. Uh, they thought that Michael Avenatti might run for president. That was being talked about. That this guy, maybe Avenatti, there were articles written, you can Google it, you'll see. Maybe Avenatti is the guy that they need to beat Donald Trump. I mean, I think he might have a better shot than some of these Democrat candidates even still, but that's just a function of how terrible the Democrat candidates are. But we knew that he was a disgusting and dishonest fellow because he was the lawyer, and you must remember this. People always want to talk now about the Stormy Daniels thing. Did the president, before he was president, have an affair with a porn star? You know? I mean, I, I leave I leave this to your own your own discretion and judgment, but that was what everybody was talking about at the time. Um, you know, the, the president, as we know, has a he's an imperfect man and has a an interesting history when it comes to to women and and his relationships with them. But he's not the first. Uh, of course, with JFK, it was all like, oh, he's just such a ro- you know, he's just roguish charm and everything else. I mean, yeah. With, with Trump. It's, oh my gosh, he's a monster. Uh, but the more important Avenatti incident was always his willingness to try to use Julie Swetnick as the final, the final, you know, shoe to drop or domino to fall, or I don't know, pick an analogy, the final, the last straw. The last straw for Judge Kavanaugh. Julie Swetnick, who was a who was a a visibly and clearly um, disturbed and deranged person put on national TV by a whole bunch of different news outlets, of course, because anything to destroy Kavanaugh was considered justified. Avenatti was her counsel. He sat with her. He had conversations with her in much greater detail than we even heard on TV. 
He had her sign a sworn affidavit alleging that Brett Kavanaugh was part of a secret gang rape ring that nobody ever heard of before while he was in high school. And that Julie Swetnick, who had graduated and was already in college, would go back to hang out at the high school parties where these gang rapes were occurring and never thought to say anything to anyone ever about it. And Avenatti believed her to the point that he would tie his professional reputation to her and would feel like it was okay to use these absurd, clearly defamatory allegations against Kavanaugh in a legal proceeding. Avenatti is really the modern Democratic Party, though. That's what you have to remember. The will to power, utter ruthlessness. Do whatever you have to do. Destroy the other side. There's no honor. There's no decency. There's no fair play. There's no obeying of any rules. So in a sense, Avenatti is really the distillation of the modern left. Useful when he's useful, and they don't care what happens after the fact. You know, a pit bull for their side, and nothing else matters. Well, the good news is not only did he probably, and I remember hearing from people that were involved in the defense of Kavanaugh in D.C., talking to them that week uh, when, the, when the votes were going to be cast by the, by the Senate, uh, Avenatti with Swetnick may in fact have saved Kavanaugh's nomination because if you think Julie Swetnick is telling the truth, you're a moron. You're just not, you're not, it is not possible to be an intelligent human being and know about what Julie Swetnick's allegations were and see her interviews and think she was telling the truth. You're just not, you're not the dumbest person ever, but you're not smart, not possible. Um, but he therefore might have, I, I think, saved Kavanaugh's nomination because then it was clear it was a hit. It was a hit. Don't ever forget. They always want to talk about Blasey Ford because, you know, she cried and she seemed a little bit more like, you know, sort of a, a little bit of a, you know, believable in the emotional. I mean, she's also she's also full of it. Don't even get me started. Um, but here's the uh, here's the problem for Avenatti. This is why I'm bringing this up right now. Avenatti was at a disciplinary hearing in California where they're doing the what is effectively the pre disbarment proceeding of involuntary inactive status as a lawyer. So this is the hearing where they're like, you're not really a lawyer anymore while this is going on because, oh, by the way, we're going to disbar you in the state of California. He's about to get disbarred. But he couldn't even finish that, my friends, without federal officers showing up to arrest him at that civil hearing about his uh, law license. Left-wing hero, Anderson Cooper, Jake Tapper, Rachel Maddow's favorite lawyer for months, Michael Avenatti. They're the best. He's going to run for president. He's an amazing fellow. Here's from the charges, the unsealed charges against him. Uh, the, you know, the United States of America versus Michael John Avenatti. And just if you just look at the, the uh, recitation of why they've picked this guy up, I'll just give this to you. This is from the kind of table of contents of the charges because they got a big case they're bringing against him. Um, there is probable cause to believe the defendant has committed federal crimes while on pretrial release. Mail and wire fraud. That's one of them. Structuring. That's another one. There is probable cause to believe defendant committed state crimes while on pretrial release. Defendant's violation of California law. Defendant's violation of Washington state law. There are no conditions or combination of conditions that will ensure the safety of the community. Defendant 
is a danger to the community. This is in the this is in the federal filing that they just that just came out while they arrested him. Defendant is unlikely to comply with the conditions of his release, and the issuance, therefore, of an arrest warrant for the defendant is appropriate. Whew. Avenatti. My, my, my. This fellow, uh, this fellow is going to find himself on, has found himself on the wrong side of the law for sure, but um, these are things that are very hard to, you know, when you're cheating on, when you're cheating on taxes, when you're defrauding clients, when you are lying to investigators, all charges that the federal government has laid against them, when there's a case against you in New York, when there's a case against you in California, um, these are things that either did or did not happen. They either have you on this stuff or they, or, or they don't. And they tend not to bring these kinds of charges unless they've got you. So CNN hero, MSNBC hero, resistance icon, Michael Avenatti is on the precipice of being disbarred and spending uh, quite a bit of time in federal prison. Gee, they have some heroes on the left, don't they? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Iran hit back. We're grateful that no lives were lost, and we will never downplay the serious of any attack on the United States or its forces. But judging from the type and intensity of the strike, the regime certainly must now understand what we will do if they ever again pose risk to American lives. If Iran escalates, we will end it on our terms. That, my friends, is a description of the new calculation that the Iranian regime has to make any time now they think about threatening American lives. This is changing the red line. This now shows that there will be more severe consequences, that the United States government under President Trump will take action against any Iranian, any Iranian government official who is actively threatening the lives of Americans. That's a change. That's a difference from what had been the case on a bipartisan basis stretching back for decades. And it's why the media has moved on from this Iran story quickly, because Trump won. Trump stared down the mullahs and won. He was right. The calculation was correct. That's where we are. Notice how for a few days it was Trump is reckless, Trump is horrible, Trump is terrible. He's leading us into war. It's a war crime. He's threatening war crimes. All of the criticism against Trump. How much criticism during that period were you really hearing from the media about the mullahs? About what's going on in Iran? About their murdering of hundreds now coming up on a few thousand protesters in the last few months alone? Who do the journalists sound more upset about? Who do the journos shed more tears when they're talking about Trump or the mullahs? You already know the answer. You already know what the problem is here with the way the journalists talk about this. There's also, uh, this is is stunning. Um, There is new footage out that shows, believe it or not, the Iranians, they didn't shoot that airliner once. There is video. Wall Street Journal has it posted now. It seems to show that they hit it with a missile one time, and then they hit it with a missile again. They hit it again. I mean, unbelievably horrific, um, unbelievably incompetent 
I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be on that, you know, on that plane, on that civilian jetliner in that moment when the strike happened, and then for it to happen a second time, the Iranians couldn't figure this out. Killed 176 people. And guess what? The Iranians lied about it for days. This is showing, this is the nature of the regime that Trump is trying to stand up to. That they would kill, and they didn't just kill Iranians, they killed Ukrainians, they killed a whole bunch of Canadians. These are people whose families are never going to be the same. I mean, this is a, a major loss of life. How could they, I mean, you have to ask the question, but how could the Iranians be so dumb. This isn't over, you know, this isn't in an area of, of, of uh, active hostilities. There's not, uh, you know, you, you look at, for example, what happened, and this was a terrible tragedy too, but it was a slightly different circumstance. The, the shoot down of MH17, that, that, that flight that was shot, it was a Malaysian Airlines flight that was shot down over Ukraine. Uh, there were some differences there. For example, there were cargo planes that have been landing uh support for the Ukrainian uh, military. And so the Russian-backed separatists were trying to send a message that they couldn't use those. So they mixed up. There were, but there were, there was reason for them to think it was possible that it was an enemy aircraft. I mean, obviously it was a horrific mistake there too. In this case, this was a plane taking off from a civilian airport in Tehran, the capital city of Iran. And there's, you know, there's no... There's no U.S. incoming. There's nothing going on. And they, they shoot the plane once, and then they shoot it again. No wonder the people are out in the streets. Not only, you know, it's the Iranian regime is not only vicious, the Iranian regime is incompetent. The people in charge, you have to remember this, they, they drape themselves in all of this ideology and about the revolution and death to America. And this is straight out of the old Soviet playbook, too. It's all about the revolution. It's all about, you know, the glory of Lenin or Stalin or whatever. Slogans and statues and protests in favor of the regime in the street, you know, marches and displays and pomp and circumstance. But the people that are taking for themselves power to make decisions that affect people's lives, the people that think that they should determine who gets what, what gets made, where it goes, they're morons, utter morons. They're not accountable to the people. They're not chosen by the people. Why would they be good at their jobs? Their job is just to do whatever the other idiots who have seized power want them to do so they can keep their job. It doesn't matter what happens to the people. They don't, they don't care how miserable and how oppressed the people are. They never do. Because they convince themselves to justify, I mean, if you are part of the regime, if you're a member of the IRGC, if you're a member of the Iranian regime's upper ranks, never mind all the way up to the Guardian Council, you don't care how much suffering the average Iranian goes through. It doesn't matter to you because that's just the price you pay to support the Islamic revolution of Iran. That's just the cost of doing business. You know, you shoot a civilian airliner out of the sky with 176 people. Yeah, it's a it's a mistake. But, you know, they're defending the Iranians against the great Satan and against little Satan Israel. Right. That's that's the justification they'll give themselves. They are imbeciles. One, one of the real turning points in the Soviet Union was more and more people fi figuring out that 
the party bosses, the, or the, the party bosses within the party, the Communist Party, not like there are more parties, uh, but the little commissars, the little petty dictators running different areas of the bureaucracy with the government in control of so much were complete and utter buffoons. Uh, self-dealing, self-interested, not good at their, not even good at implementing their incredibly flawed plans. Not even able to keep the trains running on time while they were the ones making sure that the trains were crappy and slow and rickety in the first place. And that's, that's what the Iranian, the Iranian youth are reacting to. You know, they're not, the, 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 the mullahs aren't even, aren't even efficient tyrants. They're not even good at tyranny. Oh, they're good at oppressing people, but they're not good at making all the decisions for those people. And you'd think that there'd be opportunities here um, to tell that story more for journalists. You'd think they would care more about that than they do. But no, it was always about the, the whole dust up with Iran was really about getting Trump for the journalists. And what happens to the Iranian people was it was a deeply secondary, a deeply secondary con uh, concern. And it's also a reminder as we sit here and think about, you know, everything is a question of degree when you're talking about governance. Okay, in Iran, people can't protest. There's no free press and you can disappear in the middle of the night. You have no habeas corpus, no rule of law, no individual rights. And the people in charge don't care. Here, we don't yet have it like that, obviously. But do you think the idiot Democrats in charge care that you know, you, your dishes can't get washed, that you don't have good light on your <laughs> good light to read with at night because they have to use the light bulbs aren't as good. At, no, because you know, they've got an ideological excuse for all the inefficiencies, all the stupidities that they inflict upon you. So it's the same mentality. This is why government needs to be limited. This is why enumerated powers matter. You don't want the, the people, you don't want the imbeciles to be able to make more decisions that are absolutely necessary, whether it's in Iran or here. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Department of Justice was consulted, and frankly, you know, I don't think it was a close it was a close call. Uh, I believe that the, the president clearly had the authority uh, to act as he did on, on numerous uh, different bases. Now they're questioning whether the president was even allowed to do that strike, and they're, they're going after Barr. There is a, I think it was in the New Yorker, there was a profile of Attorney General Barr written that you should be, uh, it's long and it's a little bit, a little bit dry, but it, it's a hit piece on Barr. And it, it tries to claim that he has a, that he's effectively a toady of the president, that his sense of the law is entirely partisan, that it, they're just trying to tear this guy down with everything they can. Because I think that uh, the attorney general may have saved the Trump presidency, uh, and uh, right, rightfully so, but he may have saved the Trump presidency because he understood the game that they were trying to play with the special counsel. He knew that it wasn't Mueller, that it was Weissman, that Weissman was going to try to just smear and slime the president in every way that he could and just attach attach this 10 things that maybe were criminal. We can't charge them, though, but we're saying maybe they're criminal. We'll leave it to the Congress to decide, trying to do this alley-oop for impeachment. Barr knew exactly what was going on, so he just said, nope, that's not how this, that's not how this is going to go. Didn't bring charges. We don't see any basis for charges. Dunzo. Just uh, to borrow from John Madden, just just whap, just whap it down. Just whap it down in the end zone. Don't don't try to. <laughs> Producer Mark loves when I use. This. I want to use more sports analogies, so people think I'm like a normal American.
I know I play sports. I just don't watch enough professional sports to know very much about it these days. Um, anyway, there's a real effort on the left to defame and destroy Attorney General Barr, who's a very successful, he's actually a very wealthy lawyer, too. He's done really well for himself, um, lives in a big house in McLean, has a nice family, nice family life, you know, successful daughters. Um, you know, this is the guy that you want to be your neighbor, although you'd have to be making a lot of dough because he's got a giant house in McLean, which those of you who don't know, McLean is like, oh, very fancy. It's expensive. It's where, it's where uh, CIA headquarters is, so I've spent a lot of time in McLean, Virginia, driving around there. Um, and there's some very big houses. Uh, they hate Barr because he's very effective, he's very successful, and he knows the games they're trying to run. So they, they put out this piece, and also Barr's Catholicism comes up for a bit of a bit of open season on that, too. And they say they bring up uh, Opus Dei, and they make it seem like Barr is some kind of religious zealot or extremist. I mean, they can try, but all this really is is a reminder that anybody who is effective at stopping the scorched earth campaign of the Democrats, anyone who understands that to be an effective defender of this administration, you have to be a wartime conservative. You can't be a a Mitt Romney, John McCain, political go along to get along guy. Um, anyone who understands that is going to come under a withering, withering assault. Um, and that's what's happening with the attorney attorney general bar right now. All right, I haven't even got. I know I, I kind of went into a different direction today because the impeachment thing I don't find quite as uh, as exciting as as I guess some other people do. Just because I think that this is, I think it's uh, ridiculous. I think that anybody who is being even a little bit honest about the situation knows that this is. Um, Absurd. I mean, Pelosi gave a press conference this morning. I watched it before before the show, and uh, she she said, "All you really need to know about Pelosi and this whole impeachment thing is this, this one line, this one charge." Producer Mark, play clip eighteen, please. On December eighteenth, the House of Representatives impeached the President of the United States. An impeachment that will last forever. Uh, since December 18th, there have been comments about when are we going to send the articles over? Well, we had hoped that the courtesy would be extended, that we would have seen what the process would be in the Senate. Short of that, uh, that time has revealed many things since then. Time has been our friend. No, that's the opposite of reality. Time is not a friend. But she said the impeachment will last forever. This is what I've been telling you all along. They're impeaching the president, so the president is impeached. So that you can say that. So that will be a fact. Remember, Richard Nixon was not impeached. People keep bringing that up, too. He knew that he was going to be, so he bailed. Uh, but now Trump is an impeached president, right? He joins Clinton and Andrew Johnson and third time in history, does anyone even really know why he's being impeached? They're going to send over these articles about abuse of power and about obstruction, specifically on the Ukraine issue. They didn't add more articles. It was thought that that might, that that might happen. Um, but here she is telling you what this is really all about, which is just to, to paint him with the brush of impeachment, to, to stain him forever. He's been impeached, which is meaningless. Because the way the Democrats approach this, if they really, really don't like the president and they have a majority in the House, going to impeach him. Let's impeach him. 
abuse of power. You could always you could say that about any president, any president. You could say that about Obama. You said it about Bush. You said it about Bush, Clinton. I'm sure they'd come up with a way to say it about Reagan, or Ron Contra. I mean, there's all this. Oh, there's so many ways you can go about this. Everybody's going to get impeached now. Democrats have, and I really mean this, they have debased impeachment as a process. They have made this now a petty partisan tool. And they want us to believe it's something more than that. That's why when Pelosi goes, hey, the founder said, you know, go back to the, you know, George Washington and, and Thomas Paine. And she, she had this whole thing where she started rattling off a bunch of the, of the founders. And I got to tell you, Pelosi speaks of the founding fathers with all the reverence and familiarity of a space alien whose ship crash landed into America yesterday. There's, yeah, that guy, you know, Benjamin Franklin or whatever, you know, the guy from the money, he totally would have liked this impeachment. Like, what? I mean, if she's going to constantly claim that this impeachment farce is about the Constitution, I think she needs to do a much better job of at least pretending that she has even a passing familiarity with the Constitution. That would be nice. I would prefer that. <laughs> this is like when, I mean, the, the two funniest things you see Pelosi do is when she's, she's all, the founding fathers, what of this. Uh, that, that's, that's amazing. And then the other thing that she does that's, that's pretty amazing is when she claims that she's really sorrowful, uh, sorrowful and prayerful about this when she can hardly, uh, hardly gosh, I don't know why my words ability right now is not, buck with the words, not good. Um, she can hardly hide her glee at what is going on here and that's the truth that's the truth of, of what is happening um they're already trying to tell us by the way that hunter biden is not a relevant witness you know they want witnesses but only the witnesses they want it's not how it's going to work that well oh, they, they named the seven the big seven the impeachment managers it's uh schiff nadler jeffries uh you know a few others same basic, same basic nonsense. Um, Schiff and Nadler as the house manager, as the house managers for this. Uh, here is is Nadler, for example, telling us all that uh, we everything we need to know about Hunter Biden. Of course, play nineteen. The president betrayed his country by trying to extort the Ukraine by withholding three hundred ninety-one million dollars in military aid that Congress had voted in order to get Ukraine to announce an investigation of a domestic political opponent. That's the allegation. Any witness who has information about whether that is true or not true is a relevant witness. Anybody like Hunter Biden who has no information about any of that is not a relevant witness. Any trial judge in this country would rule such a witness as irrelevant and inadmissible. Ah, of course. Betrayed his country. They love to say that, which is a, a, a horrific charge, right? I mean, it's effectively effectively saying in the common parlance understanding of treason. I mean, that's what betraying your country is, right? I mean, treason as a legal matter is giving aid and comfort to the enemy. But um, treason as, a, as the way that we understand the term is to, to betray your country. This claim now is being made by Democrats that the president, by not giving money fast enough to Ukraine, 
a country in which we have some but pretty minimal interests, a country with which we are, you know, we are not at war with Russia. We are not fighting. We don't have an active conflict going on with the Russians in Ukraine. But he betrayed his country by not giving money to, to Ukraine fast enough. I need to know how it's not a betrayal then of this country that Obama was too much of a wimp as commander in chief to give the Ukrainians the weapons they said that they needed. Didn't he betray his country too? Oh, it's because it's for personal gain. Obama didn't. Well, why do we think Obama didn't want to take the risk to give those Javelin anti-tank missiles to the Ukrainians? Because he didn't want the blowback at home of the Russians escalating and us getting deeper into this. And you know, it was yeah. The pre, every decision a president makes at some level you can tie back to his own interest. Trying to be a good president is in his own interest. This is ridiculous. This this whole thing is is uh, flatly absurd, and you know they're just using a lot of a lot of big words, a lot of weighty allegations because this impeachment is a joke. It's a joke. It's not funny, but it's ridiculous. Here's Nadler saying that McConnell better do what we we tell him to do, or else. This is a cover, a cover up. That's the word you're going to hear now. Play 20. The Senate is intended by the Constitution to conduct a fair trial. The American people know that in a trial, you permit witnesses. You present the evidence. If the Senate doesn't permit the introduction of all relevant witnesses and of all documents that the House wants to introduce, because the House is the prosecutor here, then the Senate is is engaging in an unconstitutional and disgusting cover-up. Nope. Sorry, Nadler. Nadler's a disgrace. Disgusting. There are all these Democrats. They're just ugh, odious, odious Democrats. But let's 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 take a look at what he's really saying here. Um, it's uh, the, the Senate is allowed to just do this the way the Senate wants to do this. He's claiming it's unconstitutional if the Senate doesn't do what they say. But guess what? This isn't a criminal proceeding. The Senate gets to decide what the proceeding will be, just as Adam Schiff in the House, the Democrat-controlled House, got to uh, decide and control what the proceeding on that side would be. So they, they had one set of rules when Democrats had the votes, and now they want another set of rules when Democrats don't have the votes. And they expect people, people of any intelligence and any seriousness to take them seriously? I don't. I mean, what do they think is really going to happen here? And understand how... How serious this, though, really is. I mean, Nancy Pelosi is suggesting, is suggesting that the president of the United States, I'm sorry, not suggesting, stating openly, not forget suggesting, stating the president should lose his job, should be that, that the people who turned out and voted for Trump in 2016, they can't have the president they voted for for four years. And now they're even bringing up other completely extraneous things here, too. Now, now, now they're, they're trying to throw in, oh, but it's a cover up and it's this and that and Russia, Russia. It is utterly bizarre. It is absurd. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And it's important to see the, the president to know and Putin to know the American voter, voters in America should decide who our president is. Not Vladimir Putin. Voters, not Vladimir Putin, should determine the election. This is from the Speaker of the House, my friends. Still clinging to this Russia collusion delusion fantasy. 
it is uh, we have to start drawing some some firm lines here. One that I saw last night, for example, the debate, uh, they, they brought up fracking and a ban on fracking. It is not possible to be an informed, intelligent person and know anything about the economy and the energy industry and think that a, a, a total ban on fracking in this country is a reasonable or good idea. It's not possible to think that and, and be smart and know what the heck you're talking about. It's it's completely insane to think that's a good idea. OK, um, Pelosi repeating that Putin could determine our election. It is not possible to be a serious, fair minded person and believe that Vladimir Putin determined the 2016 election or could determine the next U.S. election. It's not, it's not possible. If you still cling to that, you have a problem. You're either not very bright or not very honest or a combination thereof. This isn't a, oh, but they have their opinion, I have my opinion, and this isn't chocolate or vanilla or, God forbid, strawberry ice cream. This is just reality versus unreality. Truth versus falsehood. Vladimir Putin did not determine the last election. Nancy Pelosi bringing this up and pretending that in some way he may have determined the last election. I mean, to use this smear continuously is uh, just an, an, just another data point that Nancy Pelosi is a deeply dishonest person and that this whole thing is, has gotten just disgusting, the way the Democrats are approaching it. We're in election year. Beat Trump. Beat him. Let's see what you got. He's such a terrible president. Meanwhile, they're, they keep saying he's terrible. You ask, what's so terrible again? The economy? The huge, bloody, costly war we're in? What, what, what's, what's the terrible thing with Trump again? I, I need someone to come up with what's so awful. Ooh, he said a mean thing three years ago that libs don't like. That's what I'm supposed to be so worried about? He calls out journalists? He's right when he calls out journalists. They're the worst. Journalism needs to be, you know, nuked from orbit just so we can all be safe, just so we can be sure. It's a line from Aliens. Metaphorical, okay? Journalism isn't a person. It's a, it's a, it's a profession. Uh, oh, but uh, Koki and Mitch understands what's going on. Play, fif- play 15. Last weekend, on television, the speaker bragged that this president is impeached for life, regardless of what the Senate does, regardless of what the Senate does, as if the ultimate verdict were sort of an afterthought. Likewise, Senate Democratic leader recently said that as long as he can try to use the trial process to hurt some Republicans' re-election chances, quote, it's a win-win. That's what this is all about. The Democratic leader just laid it right out there in case anybody had any doubt. Yeah, notice how what the House does, we're all supposed to, you know, care a lot. And it's really a rhetorical game. Oh, he was impeached. Well, when the Senate does its thing, he will be cleared, exonerated. There you go. Uh, What else is there to say? Um, the, The Senate is supposed to have every bit as much authority in this process. We should treat the Senate with all the solemnity that Pelosi has wanted us to treat the House, even though the House deserves, the Democrat controlled House deserves nothing but our uh, complete and utter contempt because what they've been doing is so contemptible. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Special treat for all of you, our buddy and my fellow The First host, uh, Jesse Kelly is with us now. He is the host of The Jesse Kelly Show. He's got his own show down in Houston. He's on the first on uh, Pluto TV, channel 248. And we have things to talk about. Mr. Jesse Kelly, good to have you on the program, sir. 
It's good to be here in the flesh, my man. Uh, so let's just let's just hop into something right away. Um, red meat is very expensive in New York City, and it's it's a special thing when someone else is purchasing that perfectly charred meat for your consumption. So I, I wanted to, I wanted to just lead with I appreciate that you will make good on your bet with regard to Pelosi and the articles of impeachment as soon as possible because I might go tomahawk Jesse Kelly I might not even it might not even just be ribeye we're talking bone in ribeye that's going to be like a seventy dollars steak I hope you're aware of this here's the problem yes I'm aware of it and here's the issue because I don't think you're perfectly aware of the situation I owe you a steak for losing our bet with Nancy Pelosi. I owe you a stake for at least two other things that I can think of, just favors that you've done me. I'm, this is no exaggeration. I'm four or five stakes in that I owe you at this point in time. And now I'm starting to look at my bank account and think, can I even afford to meet Buck again? I don't even know what I do here. But, yes, obviously, it's Tomahawk. I mean, I, you, you got kids, too, so I know you got to get them, like, the little mini Air Jordans and stuff. So we'll just we'll just, we'll just do one stake, but it looks <laughs> like the – one stake covers it all, Jesse, but it looks like the articles of impeachment are, are going to get trans, transmitted after all. Um, but now let me ask you for real. As, a, as, a, as somebody following this very closely, I, I, I saw Pelosi's press conference this morning, and I just cannot imagine. I cannot imagine you are someone who is not a, a staunch Trump hater or someone who's a real Trump defender, right? If you're somebody who happened to be in the middle and you just look at this impeachment process, I don't know how it's possible to come away from it and think anything other than the Democrats look like utter buffoons. But I don't really mean Uh-oh. that. Well, the poll numbers say that's what's happened, Buck. The poll numbers say that, I mean, look, the Democrats aren't stupid. Well, I take that back. They are stupid. But they've been polling independents. They've been polling Rust Belt swing voters throughout this process because it's all about the 2020 election. And they've had polls where they've published, and they've had secret polls where they've tried to keep it quiet and couldn't. And they have taken a beating with Rust Belt independents throughout this process. It has been the worst political miscalculation I have ever seen in my entire lifetime, which is why I always believed, albeit stupidly, I always believed that Nancy Pelosi actually wouldn't send it at all, because the Democrats need this thing to stop. They need it to stop. It has been a disaster for them. And you're right, the press conference today, even today, they couldn't be on message. Nadler's up there talking about we have to impeach him or he'll cheat in the election when the impeachment has nothing about the election. It is awful. You have Nancy Pelosi, who cannot even get through a sentence in a lucid manner anymore, and no reporter wants to address this as if it's not a story that the Speaker of the House might be mentally degenerating. It, it, it's amazing what's happened at that point. I just, you mentioned the Russia, Russia, Russia stuff, which has come back into fashion for Democrats. I mean, this was just in the last 24 hours. Representative Schiff. Uh, Producer Mark, would you play uh, clip 11, please? Well, it certainly looks like they're at it again, and with an eye towards helping this president, we all have to denounce any further meddling in our elections. Americans should decide American elections. Americans do decide American elections, and anyone who thinks that Putin's deciding our elections just watches too much Rachel Maddow. I don't know what else to say. That's the funny thing about it, Buck. I mean, honestly, if you get past all the Twitter noise and Adam Schiff is lying about it and Nancy Pelosi, I believe she called him Vladimir Putin today, which is kind of strange. But if you get past all that, all Trump has really been accused of or all Russia has been accused of, set Trump aside, all Russia has been accused of is running some Facebook ads. 
I mean, and there are people out there because of the Democrat media alliance's messaging for the past three years. There are people out there who think Vladimir Putin low crawled into voting booths and changed votes for Donald Trump from Hillary Clinton in the last election. Russia ran a few Facebook ads, people. That's all. Yeah, and and the the pretense here seems very clear that they have learned nothing from the Mueller report. They have learned nothing. You know, no, none of that matters. Just bring up Russia again, and Democrats will think that there's some really big thing. Anyway, we're you and I are on the same page on this one. I, I just wanted to kind of get your. Uh, oh, and I, I also want a quick reaction from you. Uh, first of all, did you watch? And this is I'm not trying to call you out because I mean I missed the first like 20 minutes of it. Did Did you watch the debate last night? Okay, for one. That is calling me out because I'm embarrassed to say I did watch this one. I have not watched a single Democrat debate. I've caught the highlights. Oh, you know, I'll be out there with the people and all, all that was said, but I've been avoiding them. But now that the field is narrowed down, I was like, you know, I'm going to tune in. Maybe the knives will come out tonight and whatnot. Maybe there's something interesting will happen. And it was a disaster. Uh, not a single one of those people was going to even come close to competing with Donald Trump. Not one. Who had the best night? For you, I mean, if, if you if you just looked at that uh, apart from everything else that those candidates have said and done up to this point, if you're just saying, OK, I got to pick, you know, if you were a paid Democrat consultant, which I know, you know, you'd have to hit the bottle really hard at night just to sleep. But if you were a paid Democrat consultant and you had to pick one just based on their debate uh, performance last night, who would it be? Joe Biden. Joe Biden, people think that other people, you know, they, we, we all focus, you and I both, everybody does this, it's human nature. You focus on this soundbite or this moment, you know, and you think, oh, that was the moment they won that debate or that was the moment he lost the debate. Joe Biden is the, in the lead. Joe Biden is the clear front runner still at this exact moment. If the other candidates are going to continue to have public debates and not go after Joe Biden, then Joe Biden is going to win every one of them. Nobody went after Joe Biden last night, so Joe Biden won. I don't care about Bernie Sanders, you know, commie lies. I don't care about Pete Buttigieg Doug or whatever his name is. Any debate where Joe Biden does not come out bleeding, Joe Biden won. Now, I also want to ask about 1917, the movie that you and I both saw. I saw it on my birthday. I actually went with my family, um, which is kind of an intense birthday movie. But you know, I wanted to see it, and it was out. I know you've just recently seen it. Um, it's nominated for a bunch of stuff. Wow. First, put aside the nominations and, and all, all that nonsense for a moment. Just what what do you th- what do you think about this World War One movie? Well, I, I should qualify this by saying I am a World War One. I, I know you are. I'm a World War One freak. I consume everything I can on it. There's an amazing hardcore history podcast on it called Blueprint for Armageddon. That's seriously like 20 hours long. I'll read every book I can. I just, I love World War One. I. I find it to be an infinitely fascinating conflict. And this movie did it justice, man. And it was, it was different than other war movies in that, you know, it, there weren't a bunch of, you know, cheap scenes. You know, you can throw in cheap scenes for a quick gasp from the audience, but you felt like you were, you felt like you were a World War One soldier walking from this place to that place. And I don't want to give away too much because I know people are still, going to watch the movie but you it felt real man and the intense moments were extra intense because of how real they did it i i, I was so blown away impressed what do you think yeah no absolutely i, I thought that the, the you know sometimes whenever there's a movie that has a has a ploy to sell it i mean for my the one that comes to mind for me is everyone's like "Ooh, avatar you have to see it in 3d it's life-changing i'm like it kind of made me want to vomit and the movie is terrible and it's like commie propaganda and james cameron 
hasn't done anything good since Aliens. But anyway, um, you know, and this time it's because it's all one shot, right? There's no breaking from that one shot in the entire two hours plus of this movie. I thought, uh oh, is this just going to be a gimmick effectively, right? Is this the gimmick that, but it actually, I, I agree with you. It's almost like it, it, because of that first person perspective that you're in the whole time, it feels like you are traveling along with this guy on his mission and did add to that sense of, of intensity. It really took on the, the, the feeling of like a first person shooter, except you were just watching, you weren't, you know, it wasn't like some, some corny action thing. You were a first person shooter, just hoping you weren't going to get shot. It's so funny you brought that up because that's the first thing I thought when I heard, oh, it's all one shot. I rolled my eyes and thought, oh, good. We finally have a World War One movie and some fancy schmancy Hollywood director is going to ruin it by trying to be a special butterfly and do it different than everything else. But you're right. And to explain what one shot means, because I know some people may not realize it, they're not cutting to this guy's face and that guy's face. And then you're zooming over to this part of the battle and that part of the battle. Cameras are surrounding these guys on this mission, and they're walking with them the whole way. Like that, I don't know how the actors did it, Buck. I mean, clearly they had to have cutscenes at some point. I don't know if maybe they didn't, but it it was it was a great movie experience. And I'll tell you, I don't say this about a bunch of movies. Highly recommend people see this in the theater. I have a feeling the movie theater experience would add something extra to it. Yeah, and the, so the set design's incredible. I mean, the production value, they spent over $100 million on this movie, and you can tell from from just the way, yeah. the, I mean, the the uh, the production value that you see on the, on the screen. You know, Jesse, everyone thinks of you now as a, as a radio host, host on Pluto TV, the first, Channel 248, of course. Um, and uh, you're also a former Marine. If, if I have to ask you for, is this in is this in top ten? And this is a tough one. I mean, I, I didn't and we didn't coordinate this beforehand. Is nineteen seventeen for you a top ten all time war movie? Oh no, question. It's it, honestly, it's probably top five, my man. It's wow. probably top five. It, I, it was it, it just because honestly, and I, it's so real, and it really, I mean, it brings if, if, if you're one of these people who's been to war. It brings some things back for you, not in a terrible way, but it does. But it gives you that feeling of this is how these guys lived, right down to again and again. I'm not going to give away anything major. Right down to him stabbing his hand in barbed wire, like and that and that's, that would be a minor nothing scene in most movies. But the way they did this, and you saw it, and you just thought to yourself, "Oh, that freaking sucks." Now his hand is going to hurt the rest of the movie there, and it did. You know, it just it added. Now, I don't want I don't want to also force you to to make something too on the spot here for us. But I, it, you know, so we're not going to go in order. But if I ask you for five of your top ten, five of your top ten greatest war movies of all time, what do you got for us? Man, I've got some. Gosh, I've got some weird ones in there. Oh man, five top ten war movies. Uh, Platoon is on everybody's short list. It's also on my short list. There's no question about it. Uh, I hate to sound like my grandpa, but Dirty Dozen is still on that list. That's a great movie, dude. And I don't even like old movies. I'm not one of these people who hates, oh, you have to see, you know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But no, Dirty Dozen is absolutely on that list. Uh, probably uh, Saving Private Ryan only because... Yeah, you gotta put Norman. you got to put Saving Private Ryan on the list. Yeah. Come on. The, the Normandy experience has got to be on there. And... This last one, I don't know if most people have heard it, heard of it or seen it or even really call it a war movie, even though I would. It's called Spartan. It's with Val Kilmer. It's called Spartan. And I actually think, and I may be wrong about this, I think Peter Jackson 
is the one who made it. The same Peter Jackson who made, you know, the Lord of the Rings movies. And most people have not seen this movie, Spartan, but Val Kilmer did extensive special forces training before the movie, and he even talks like those guys. And it, it is it is one of the movies people have not seen. It is awesome. One of my favorite movies ever. I've never, I've never even heard of that movie. So your 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 list, I gotta say, has some. Has some surprises, some interesting stuff. I do have to ask because we brought this up recently. Have you seen Master and Commander with with um, uh, Russell Crowe? That movie's horrible. Please don't. Oh my gosh, Jesse Kelly! We oh. were doing so well today. We're doing so well. You don't like Master and Commander? I don't even know. Now, what are you going to tell me next? You don't like Black Hawk Down either? I mean, Jesse, we we're going to have to post lists on Facebook and cross reference and both agree and then make fun of where necessary each other's choices on the top ten all time war movies list. I can't believe you don't like you Master and Commander. Some, some members of my audience right now are they they are throwing their powdered wigs on the floor in disgust with you. No, I don't like Master and Commander. And on top of that, I love the solid ship, Age of Exploration. I love that type of battle. I love that era. But I thought it was criminal how you could take Russell Crowe in a setting like that and make a movie that freaking slow and boring. And I'm judging you right now, and we're absolutely doing that. that oh, yeah. we got to have dueling, dueling top ten war movie lists. And before we let you go, yeah. Jesse, we got one more thing. Um there's some uh, exciting news on Pluto TV, Channel 248. The first, I'll let, I'll let you make the announcement on my show. Why not? Go for it. Oh, oh, yeah. We are adding the very own Dana Lash on our show right here on the first, or on our channel, I should say, on the first. That makes a lineup now of Buck Sexton, Dana Lash, me and Mike Slater. That is quite a lineup, I'll tell you that much. The first is shaping up to be appointment totals. Yeah, I got to say, I actually like everybody who's on the first, which is nice. <laughs> this is a rarity, I can tell people, in the media game. It's a rarity that you get a bunch of different personalities together, and there's not at least one person that you're like, I mean, you know, maybe they decide that they want to just open a little sweet shop somewhere and not do this anymore. <laughs> so I'm very happy that uh, we've got we got you, we got Mike Slater, and now Dana Lash, everybody. Dana Lash has joined the mix. If you have not already, download the Pluto TV app, channel 248, the first. Also, check out my man Jesse Kelly's podcast. He is a very funny and very insightful individual, despite the fact that some of the war movies he likes, or actually some of the war movies he hates, are amazing. Uh, but we'll leave it at that for now. We'll continue this feud in the future. Mr. Jesse Kelly, great to have you, sir. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I promise I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the royal family in the UK on this show and the, and the, the trials and tribulations. Good heavens, what's going on? Are we, are we losing some members of the royal family? Oh, no. Excuse me, Reginald? Reginald, bring me my tea. Uh, my th my throat is feeling rather dry because I'm so anxious about what's going to happen here. Where are the servants today? The royal family, what's going on here? Um, yeah, there's the whole Meghan Markle and Prince Harry thing that's uh, everyone's talking about. Uh, and I should have known this, but now now we're being told that this is this is a result of of racism. That's why Meghan Markle no longer is not comfortable in the royal family. I, I, I don't even I don't know or care enough about the royal family to even assess why this is happening. But I found this fascinating. Uh, an expert on on racism and race relations went on the BBC. Dr. Shola Moss Shagbamimu. Shagbamimu. Yeah, Shagbamimu. I think I got that right. 
Uh, she wanted to tell folks about what racism really is. Play clip four, producer Mark. And I'm not a racist, and I understand that for a lot of people who are triggered by the truth of racism, they can't handle the truth. And because they can't handle the truth, they will look to displace, to distract. Um, I am not anti-white. It being anti-racist means being anti-white. It, there's just no correlation. It, it makes no sense. Mm. The fact that not just me, but a lot of other people, including white people, have called out racism... Um, not just within the, the context of what's happening with Harry and Meghan, but that it, it is a cultural issue in the United Kingdom. Tells you that it's something that people are really uncomfortable about talking. Really uncomfortable talking about it. I, I feel like I, I can't speak to the UK context of this, but we have to talk about race and racism in this country so much that it, it feels like it's it feels like it's been mandated from on high. I feel like this is a conversation we're constantly having. Play clip five. I find it quite interesting that people are more outraged about the so-called race card being played than being outraged by racist behavior. It, it, it begs the question, what kind of society are we? Why is it difficult for you to understand, accept that it's also your responsibility? Mm -hmm. And the fact that a lot of people, like myself, there's black people, ethnic minorities, are done with having to bear the burden of not only being oppressed by racism, then having to defend ourselves from the racism, then having to explain what that racism to people who perpetuate the racism, and then bear the brunt of the denial from the same perpetrators that our lived experience of racism doesn't exist. People, yeah, we're done with that. That's right. Um, you can be told that you're racist even if you don't do anything wrong. If you object to that, that is in, in is itself racism. And people who only want to talk to you constantly about racism are sick of talking about racism because it's too much of a burden. I'm glad we cleared all that up. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. We got a, co we got a code read via the audience for producer Mark over here. Producer Mark. Yes. Where is Clemson located, producer Mark? I have learned that's in South Carolina. <laughs> it's kind of All awesome. Right. To be fair, I'm not a college football guy. We're in New York. There's no college football team anywhere near here. Rutgers stinks. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we've well, got basketball a little bit with college, but not really. You're, a, I mean, you got a Rangers hat on right now. You're I'm a, a hockey, hockey guy. guy. I'm a baseball guy. I like the NFL, but we don't. I mean, the culture of New York, we don't have a college football team. So I screwed up. We all, we all, it's I okay. Meant, That's I all meant, right. Mea culpa, producer Mark. Mea culpa on this one. Not a lot a big of people deal. pointed out that I messed. I was thinking of Auburn, ah. the rival with Alabama, not. Clemson. That I would have. That actually, I, I think I did know about yeah. Auburn. Um, so I'm glad that we 
Glad we've established this. I admit my mistakes when you I make them. You admit your mistakes. It's fine. We're I still let... know a ton more about sports than you do. That is accurate. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we had to clear that up because some people were like, what is going on in the Freedom Hunt? I'm sure every message you read is about to be about um, that. Here we go. Let's see what we got here. Uh, Sandy, first up. This is on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Hey, Buck. No, I'm not an OSS member. I do remember the early days before your show was three hours. Thank you for keeping us safe and warm at night. You are the only show I subscribe to and recommend you to friends often. As a, <laughs> I thought maybe you were going to escape this with producer Mark. As a Clemson graduate, I want to let you know, producer Mark, that uh, the Clemson University is in, is in South Carolina. We play football at the original Death Valley Stadium. I love your show and wish you and Mark all the best. That was a very nice one. That was a very supportive. She's very nice about she it. She likes yes. you. She's on Team Mark. You know, yeah, some she, Team Brandon's about to chime in. So. So there's going to be some Team Brandon today. It's okay though. It's okay. But uh, yep, it happens. It happens. Daniel, hey Buck, I love the show, and it is the one podcast I try never to miss. I want to let you in on a Vince Vaughn movie that I'm pretty sure you haven't seen and will change your mind about his range. It's called Return to Paradise and co-stars Joaquin Phoenix. Not, Va- not Vaughn playing himself at all and his pure drama, an excellent film you should check out, Shields High. Uh, well, Daniel, thank you. I, I've, never even, I've never even heard of that. I've never even heard of that uh, movie, so I can't comment on it. Oh, I can comment on Jesse Kelly is a great man. I, I really do like Jesse Kelly a lot. I cannot believe he trashes Master and Commander like that. I mean, we're going to have to. This is a feud that's going to extend for quite some time now. Um, but anyway, the Dirty Dozen. Have you seen the Dirty Dozen? I've never heard of that. I mean, I'm sorry, I've never seen it. I've heard of that one. Um, Matthew, here we go. Buck, I listen to you through Spotify. I hope you get to see your ratings through Spotify the same way you do with radio and Pluto TV. I discovered your show when an ad played while I was listening to Sean Hannity. Um, uh, I've been a huge fan ever since. Granted, that was a few months ago, but I plan on being all through season four and beyond with you. I still like Hannity while I'm waiting for your show to update. His interviews with higher-ups are interesting, but you cover broader topics, and you're actually a pretty funny guy. (laughs) Thanks. A question that has been uh, rattling around in my brain for a while is in regards to Andrew Yang and more recently Elizabeth Warren in respect to their plans, Yang with his $1,000 a month and Warren with wiping out student debt. It seems to me that that is less a campaign ideal and more just an attempt outright to buy your vote. What do you think? Keep up the great work, and North Carolina's got your back. Well, Matthew, thank you for the very kind note. It's great to hear that you heard about me uh, from listening to uh, the Hannity podcast, and uh, now you're listening to the Buck Sexton podcast. So thank you so much. And yeah, the show is very different. As you know, we do f- very few interviews here um, and uh, have far fewer guests because I always have a lot of things I want to say to you guys. Um, as for the buying of votes, I mean, yeah, but you could always say that. I mean, Matthew, I, I think that's true, and it seems a little bit more obviously true insofar as the buying of votes with cash in this case is not through some welfare program it's not something that anybody would look at and say oh well uh you know it's it's like in this case it feels almost like you're getting a check sent to you for a vote but you know that's kind of what happens with a lot of the welfare state as, as it exists i mean people are getting money although in this case everyone gets the money it's a little different i mean i see what you're saying 
Um, also, Andrew Yang is not going to become president, so it's never going to happen. So that's also something we should keep in mind here. And Warren wiping out student debt. Yeah, that's a payoff. But a lot of things are payoff the voters. I mean, look what Trump is doing with farmers as a result of the uh, trade tensions with China. People would certainly claim is a payoff and they would be not, you know, they wouldn't be crazy. It wouldn't be silly for them to do so. Uh, Matthew, thank you so much. Great to have some new uh, some new folks listening in on the podcast. Our podcast numbers are going up, up, up every month. By the way, I'm going to have my friend Ben Weingarten in tomorrow and Friday and Monday for me here on the show. So you get a few days of Ben. And that's the biggest break I'm planning on taking from the show until the election. So just know that. Um, that's the that's the idea right now. Uh, and Ben will do a great job. He's already lining up all kinds of fantastic guests. And uh, we're looking forward to having him in here and hanging out. Jason, Clemson in Alabama, you guys are killing me. Jason, um, yeah, man, I, I got to say, you're, you're right. <laughs> so we, producer Mark and producer Buck had a, or, well, not producer Mark and host Buck had a little womp womp yesterday. I mean, I even should have probably caught that one. He also sent me a photo of Pensacola Beach, which looks really nice. If I'm looking for a low-key beach with beautiful sand, huh? Interesting. Pensacola Beach. That's my thing. I just, I love beaches. I can't handle a beach where there's, um, I, I can't handle a beach where there's too many people on the beach. Like when you see these these photos of like Rio de Janeiro and everyone's in the water and you're like shoulder to shoulder with everybody. I, I, I like to stay away from crowds at beaches. So you got to find me find where that stuff is wow i'm trying to skip okay i'm gonna skip <laughs> we, we have we may have gotten more messages here from people angry about the clemson yeah, thing why man. do you think i told you in advance we have yeah, to address it yeah um that's a thing that happened um hey buck uh Gary and Shannon on 64 KFI have a huge list of amazing hangouts in L.A. Love the show. Shields high. All right. Thank you, Angela. I'll have to check that out. I got a pretty busy schedule when I'm out in L.A., but if I get some time to go see some cool things, I will definitely do so. John, um, there were women in uniform in World War I. Research the Hello Girls, who were the telephone operators at the front lines. Um John, I know there are women that took part in the war, and we weren't trying to, to minimize that, uh, but there, there were not women running across no man's land with rifles with bayonets on them trying to storm enemy trenches. So that's what we really—and that's—if you see the movie, you'll see that that's all that—that's all there is. There's no, like, back in the rear with the gear stuff. You're on the front line the whole time, moving with the front line. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, American female switchboard operators in World War One, the Signal Corps Female Telephone Operators Unit. Interesting. Uh, John, I didn't know about that. I'm going to be honest. i got to check that out. Kyle, for roll call. Well, thank you for specifying. What's up, Buck? I've always wondered why legalizing marijuana is considered a left-wing or liberal argument. It seems like more of a conservative libertarian idea of individual freedoms with less government overreach. And not only that, but it's a pro-small business stance as well. A lot of the businesses that have opened up have been wildly successful. I just don't understand why Republicans are so scared on this issue. Kyle, a few things here. I would say uh, first, if you're going, you can take a position that I think is very much conservative about marijuana that would result in the 
at least the elimination of federal law that makes marijuana legal. And it would take you all the way back to the Supreme Court case, the origin of so much federal overreach, the Supreme Court case known as Wickard v. Filburn. And in Wickard v. Filburn, it was decided that someone who even sold wheat within his own state because wheat is a cross-state product, it affects the price of wheat in other states. And therefore, even if the wheat is for your own consumption because you would not be engaging in commerce within your own state that could affect commerce in other states, the Interstate Commerce Clause says that they can regulate wheat that you're growing for yourself, which is stunning. Even if it's not in interstate commerce, it is considered to be a part of interstate commerce. And under that very expansive and very wrong-headed interpretation of, of the Commerce Clause, you now have the federal government able to involve itself in effectively whatever the federal government wants to involve itself in. Uh, there's far, far too much of that to be sure. Um, as for uh, legalizing marijuana just as, a, as an idea, I, I you know, there, there's a very, it's very hard to make the argument to me that marijuana should be illegal um, while alcohol should be legal. Um, both are substances that have, you know, health effects. We just are socially much more inclined to be accepting of the downsides of alcohol. Um, but I, that's that's really where I come to. And, and, and then also you look at the realities of prohibition and what they have been for marijuana and what they were for alcohol from the, you know, whatever it was, 1920-something to 1930-something. Um, so, yes, there you have it. Uh, we'll see, though. I mean, it, the, the real argument would be that uh, the real argument for me would be that it's really more dangerous than people realize. Steve writes, Buckster, you have the best show on radio. Steve, you have fantastic taste in radio shows. You just said that Mitch McConnell should just shut the impeachment hearing down without any witnesses. It occurs to me that the Democrats have strategized this out already. If the Senate does that, Schumer will say Trump has something to hide. If witnesses are allowed to be called... The House managers have that covered, too. Everything is geared toward November. Steve, OSS, and you rock. Well, Steve, thank you so much for the kind note. Yeah, well, the Democrats are going to have a line of attack here no matter what. If you don't bring the witnesses, there will be a line of attack. If you do bring the witnesses, they will seize upon some aspect of the witness testimony and say, ah, see, the Senate was unwilling, even when presented with the truth, to vote based upon the truth of these witnesses. So you can't avoid that. You can't escape that. But... Nonetheless. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I still stand by my sense that that McConnell should just take this and just he should just take the football and spike it. Say, nope, we're done. It's been real. Exonerate. And then just have Trump tweeting exonerated in all caps every day for like a month and just go with that. That'll it'll trigger the libs and it'll give us the counterpoint to what they're really trying to do, which is all about messaging for the 2020 election. We're aware of that. We understand that. So that's where we're at. All right. Skipping past all the helpful reminders about where, about the geography of Clemson. Oh, man. Producer Bark. You know, the good news is as long as you don't, you know, mix up uh, Wayne Gretzky with Mark Messier, you know, I think we can forgive you. I'm honestly shocked you just named two hockey players. Look at that, though, right? That was pretty good. You, you struggled. It seemed like yeah. uh, the first one's easy. I mean, yeah, come on. yeah. yeah. But I remember he was the best ranger for a law when I was growing Wayne up. Wayne Gretzky? I, no, no, Mark Messier. Yes. Yeah, he was the like the 
super well-known ranger. Yeah, he brought a cup to New York, and no big deal. Oh, he did? Really? Yes. Really? You didn't notice a parade in Manhattan? No. You lived in Manhattan at that time. The parade probably went past my apartment. I didn't even realize. Yeah. Yeah. 1994? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Beth writes, just found you on Pluto. I've seen you on Fox. Was thrilled to find your show on the first yesterday. It was the first time I checked out Pluto. I've been searching for a substitute for Fox during the day. We'll watch faithfully each day. Love your show from Beth. Well, Beth, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Please, please uh, do spread the word. Tell people they can watch us during the day. we got Dana Lash in the mix now. Jesse Kelly, Mike Slater, more fantastic conservatives. Young, vibrant, fiery, principled, funny conservatives will be joining the lineup here on Pluto TV, uh, Channel 248, the first in the months ahead. And we're going to put on some really good stuff for you. So I think you're really you're really going to like it. Tell people. Spread the word. It's free. You download the app. Every, it's free. There's, no, there's no, no subscription, no cost, no nothing for you to be watching us on the first on Channel 248. Dennis, Buck, I found it interesting that there wasn't more comparison to Trump taking out Soleimani as to when the USA shot down Admiral Yamamoto's plane in 1943. Really enjoy the show. Shields high. Um... Dennis writes, Dennis, you're, yeah, we, we, we shot down a general's plane and he died. So generals are combatants, folks. I, I feel like we don't really think about it. It used to be the general was on the horse with everybody, you know, with everyone else around him. And if you got through enough of the other soldiers, enough of the foot soldiers, you know, the uh, cavalry or whatever, you get to the general, guess what? The general's a combatant unless he surrenders in time. He can be he can be killed. I mean, this is just because you got four stars on your shoulder doesn't mean that you're not a combatant, right? I mean, they, they, there's a reason why uh, you know officers, you know, even very senior officers carry weapons in war zones. A, a very good point, though. People forget about the uh, the uh, Yamamoto shootdown. Um, let's see here. Vincent writes, "Hey, Buck, it sucks about California's insane water fines in a totally unrelated subject." A fun experiment is putting a large neodymium, neodymium, I don't even know what that is, magnet, (laughs) I am Ron Burgundy, next to metering devices. It's like freezing them in time. Godspeed, Cali Conservative Shields High. Well, thank you, Vince. I didn't know about that, but uh, I could definitely check that out. Uh, Peter writes, Dear Buck, I'm a fairly new listener, and I really enjoy your show. That being said, I have been missing your German accent lately. It is my absolute favorite, and I can't stop laughing once you launch into it. We need Merkel to step up and start meddling in our elections. I enjoy most of your other impressions as well. Um, otherwise, very good stuff. Thanks for the insight and entertainment. She would say, well, Peter, I'm so glad, Peter, you enjoy the Angler, because she enjoys telling you what to do all the time, all day long. Oh, are you going to be using that light bulb that ended, has too much energy? I don't think so. Not on Angler's watch. No. Not allowable. Make sure you tell everybody that Angela is part of the Buck Sexton show and they should download it or else. Schnell, download it. The Buck Sexton show. Shield's high.